Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year to all. Rosh Hashanah is not just the Hebrew New Year, it's actually the birthday of the human race, and the beginning of existence. So it really is the time when the entire existence renews its contract with its creator, with its engineer, the cosmic architect. May it be a year with, filled with blessings, revealed blessings in all matters of life, health, livelihood, children, and success and abundance on materially, spiritually, and all fine, in all dimensions. The topic of this uh, is going to is of this discussion is: Should we ever take extreme measures? And it is very appropriate to the time in which we're in because this is a time of soul searching, of introspection. It's a time when we look into our hearts and souls to look how to improve our lives, to correct wrongs, to make things better, to begin new beginnings explore new possibilities. So it's very appropriate to talk about how we look at things and assess and evaluate and grow in the, pro- in the process. And very often extremism comes into play due to human nature. So we all know balance. Balance is the most coveted and the most healthiest approach to life and all its challenges. A balanced approach. As soon as you become extreme, to the right or to the left, or one form or another, it usually has unintended consequences, unwanted consequences. When you do things out of desperation, or lack of composure and presence of mind, what usually happens? You usually make mistakes, and sometimes grave mistakes. At the same time, there's no question that there, as they say, desperate times require desperate measures. I don't really like the word desperate, but let's say certain situations may require more extreme measures. There's no question there are times like that. For example, time of emergency. But how do you know whether you're doing whether the extreme is fitting or not fitting? Especially recognizing, as I just mentioned, that it's possible to lead to all kinds of things we don't want to result from our interventions. That is the discussion we're going to have in this soul-searching time. Of course, you cannot, you cannot avoid the word guilt and shame that so often comes into play when people are evaluating, are soul-searching, introspection, looking at themselves. Very often, more our more base instincts come to the surface, which cause us to either panic or have fear or behave in ways that are not necessarily thought through or balanced. So particularly in times when a person is doing that, it's very important not to allow yourself to gravitate to extreme measures when perhaps they're not necessary. And they're not coming from a healthy place. They may be coming from a more desperate place, as I mentioned. And desperate doesn't always mean desperate as an emergency, physical emergency. Desperate can be just your emotional state is more of a frantic, more of an impulsive and reflexive reaction instead of one that is thought through, which of course is the first tip of all tips, is that everything has to be deliberated upon. We're not talking about a situation where a person is in real danger. Obviously, you can't just sit and deliberate. You have to get out of a burning building. But here we're discussing more of emotional and spiritual introspection and growth. There, the fact of the matter is, deliberation is very valuable because deliberation will avoid the trap of doing things impulsively. And extremism that comes from impulse is very often wrong. 
if you make a deliberate evaluation and you discuss it and you review and you, th- and you think through the implications and the consequences of your actions and then you say, you know what, it's worth taking the risk, important to do something more extreme, then you know it's not coming from a type of knee-jerk reaction where you just panicked or you just reacted quickly. It's coming through a plan. Then you know that it may have a place. Obviously, that's still not enough to determine when it's right and when it's wrong, but that is a critical component. And I would say in all areas of life, that pause, that pregnant pause between your, your, uh, your thoughts your feelings, your reactions, and your actions. The pause between reaction and action. Vital. You know, someone, let's say, insults you at work. Or someone does something that you feel offended you. How often do we just respond like that? And then later say, you know, maybe I should, I should have been more, more thoughtful. Maybe I should have reflected. Maybe I should have found out what that person really said. Sometimes you hear from a third party and you right away call and start... And then you find out that it wasn't as bad or it wasn't at all what was told to you. The pause would allow you to not make those errors and mistakes. And very often it's the collateral damage that is far worse than the original problem. Like in anything, a small infection can be contained. But once it starts spreading and you're not, and you're not containing it and you're not in any way curbing its growth then, of course, it's then it can explode into something that is far, far bigger than the original infection. And the same thing is psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's critical to contain, and containment requires deliberation, reflection, thought, before actions are done. So that's lesson number one. But we have to go, of course, a little deeper into the whole subject matter, because we're dealing here with living our lives, and we live a life, and very often, in a hostile environment, People around us are selfish. It's driven by their self-interest, and they could be hurting us. And we need to to figure out how to navigate in a balanced way. At the same time, know when you need to veer to the right or to the left, and sometimes veer extreme right and extreme left, and sometimes quickly. So that's what we will be addressing. You see from the analogies that I'm using here that I think the best, it's very quite intentional, because the best way to discuss this, before we go into our own inner selves, as we all know, it's much harder to, to control and to govern your own inner emotions and feelings than it is on an outer level. So let's use the best example would be actually riding a, driving a vehicle. We'll use a ship. I think is even the best example of all, because a ship rides on water. And water is, has waves, and at times, storms come your way. The question is how to navigate. So in a regular situation, everything is going well. It's nice weather. And, and frankly, this can be applied to any vehicle. It can be an airplane. It can be, a, it can be a car. It can be a motorcycle. It can be a bicycle. For some reason, a ship seems to me the best one to use in all its details. But you can feel free to use any metaphor. So ship. So when the waters are calm... The sea is peaceful. So you know you can navigate, you can travel in a certain course toward your destination. You don't have to be concerned with much because everything on the horizon seems to be conducive for a smooth ride, and that's what you do. However, if a storm sets in and the waves get choppier, you need to know what you're doing. 
especially if it's a sailboat or, frankly, any boat. Talk about the Titanic, had to deal with icebergs. So now you need to figure out how to navigate. Sometimes you may need to avoid the storm by going to the right or to the left, which you wouldn't have done had there been no storm. Sometimes you're already stuck in the storm, so you have to know how to ride through that, whether to go faster or slower, and often just be carried by the waves instead of fighting them. So all the art of navigation. And when you look at this metaphor, you'll be able to apply it to our lives, you'll see quite the same way. An extreme, the, the norm has to be in our lives is to ride smoothly. Yes, sometimes you need to go to the right to the left simply if that's part of the navigation. But there's no reason for any extreme maneuvers. Why? Because the ride is smooth. If life indeed is in a smooth state, smooth place, so then extremes may not be necessary. And if you do react with an extreme, it may be just an illusion of your own fears, your own paranoia. Just like a captain of a ship. Suddenly you see behaving in a way that is extreme when everything seems to be beautiful out there. There's something wrong. What's wrong? He may have panicked by anticipating or assuming something's happening. There may have been a small thunder or lightning or some other sign of a storm coming and he overreacted. But obviously a trained and balanced captain will know all of that and will know when to react more extreme way and when not to. But let's first assume, you know, we're all human beings, we all can make mistakes. The same thing in our personal lives. There are times something comes our way and it looks like a storm. It looks like it needs extreme measures. It looks like you really need to maneuver. And truth is, you may not need to. How do you determine this? So when you're a trained captain, you were trained to deal with panicky situations and controversial and situations that may seem same frightening or threatening, and you, need, and you need to hold your head above water, so to speak, just like a commander-in-chief, and not allow yourself to get caught up in the emotions of the moment because you need to, lives are at risk here, at stake, and there's a lot at stake, and you need to really have a presence of mind. How does that work in our personal lives? We're not necessarily trained captains, correct? That's why we may need a mentor, a friend, a counselor, a colleague, anyone that can just help us if we seem to, seem to appear in our life a certain storm and it seems to require a measure that's more of extreme than the norm, it's always best to run it by someone else or, like I said before, or and, like I said before, deliberate over it. Critical. Because it's very easy to overreact and then get yourself into more trouble because you didn't need to use that extreme measure and that itself is going to have consequence. If when a ship has to begin to maneuver and it's sometimes extremely due to a storm and you find that there's no storm, that can create damage itself because you could end up being off course. You could end up using fuel or other resources you shouldn't have to have, have used, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in our personal lives, there obviously there can be quite, uh, as I said, consequences from doing an extreme measure when it was not necessary. So that's why we need to make sure. So either you're trained and you have that type of composure because you've been trained to be, to have strength and courage under, under fire, under pressure, and, or you deliberate and consult and co- get counsel from others that help you learn how to navigate and whether an extreme measure actually is necessary. But the analogy goes further. Let us determine that, yes, an extreme measure is necessary. The question is how necessary and how much of it. So in the case where, let's say, you're going on a, this, this, a, a, 
a calm sea, but then suddenly there's the 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 dark clouds begin to emerge on the horizon. Or an iceberg. Or some other block. So you realize you can't just keep going smoothly straight. You have to do something. You see something in front of you, another ship, anything that is impeding your way, you need to turn to the right. You wouldn't have turned if you didn't see that object or entity. Now you have to turn to the right, and that is necessary for a healthy navigation. Let's apply that to our personal lives. In our personal lives, you face a crisis. A crisis can be a loss, a death. It could be a crisis of a divorce. It can be a loss of a job, being fired. It could be a health crisis. The list goes on. What do you do when there's such a situation? So most of us have not been trained for it. We're not prepared for it. And nothing to feel guilty that you're not prepared. Why should we be prepared for it? God should bless us all. We should only have calm and beautiful seas before, before us and a very pleasant and peaceful life. So when a crisis does come, so what you're really made of is tested at that time. It may bring out the best of you, and you learn to maneuver. You learn to walk and perhaps steer your ship, steer your life in a little adjusted direction to compensate for what has happened. If you're in the face, let's say you're at work, and your employer or client or co-workers are obnoxious, are behaving in ways that really upset you. What do you do? So if you just react in a panic form or just react reflexively, you may do something that tit for tat, and you just feed the flames, and you feed their antipathy and their behavior and obnoxiousness, and it becomes worse. You need to be wise. You need to wise how to navigate. Of course, each case is different, so it's case by case, but I'm talking in generalities. How do you navigate? You may need to take a measure that you wouldn't have taken regularly. You may need to go to the superior of that person, or you may need to wait not to do that because you can burn your bridges and be hurt because that person can go and talk to, that, to the person who is, who is mistreating you, and that could end up backfiring. So you have to be very careful how you make a, an, an unnatural move in order to compensate for an unnatural situation. And again, it's vital to have the, the objective perspective that it shouldn't be coming out of your own anger or disgust or resentment or whatever else that's coming from your emotions that are blinding you and causing you to react. Maybe re- the reasons for reacting are true, but the way of reacting, there may be more productive ways to deal with the situation. And I see this all the time. Most mistakes happen when we don't know how to react to an, un- to an unwanted experience. And we react the wrong way. We're either too passive and allow it. That's also a problem, just like everything is is like normal, everything is as if nothing happened. Which of course also is not acceptable, because then it's like making make believe there's no storm, making believe there's nothing to do, to no adjustments necessary, or the adjustments are done too much to the extreme. What we want is even a balanced extremism, if I could put it that way. A type of planned spontaneity, if you know what I'm saying. Meaning a planned way of making a maneuver that is not the, of, of the norm in order to adjust accordingly. I'm not, I am not personally a master of martial arts, but I hear, especially the oriental martial arts, a lot of it is based on using the power of your adversary. In other words, you could have like in a conventional Western boxing match, so it's your power, it's your strength, and you try to knock out your opponent. But what happens if you allow that person 
its energy as they punch you to know how to deflect it, how to ride on it, how to use it. Somewhat like a good baseball hitter who uses a fastball, uses the power of the pitcher's velocity by slamming and banging and hitting a baseball out of the park, a home run. If the, if the pitch was thrown slower and did not have the same velocity, the same strength, you may not have been able to do it. So that's like using the strength that's coming toward you and harnessing it towards your objectives and ends. That is also part of how we maneuver. This is, of course, our, uh, you need to be an art. To, uh, this is, it requires the art of knowing how to deflect, how to harness, how to, um, or I want to use, absorb and reflect or, or uh, refract the energy that's coming your way. But it's another way of using something that you need to do in a certain more extreme situation. So when it comes to situations that require that, and as I, I gave some examples before, but there are other examples in this season that we're in right now. There may not be no particular crisis in your life, but it's, a, it's an introspective time. Let's equate, let's equate it with the time when you have to give your annual or quarterly or, or semi-annual report to your employer and wants to see exactly what you did well, and they audit you. So then you are in a more under the microscope and a more um, vulnerable place. At the same time, you are going to be more alert because you really want to impress. You want to show that you did achieve. And that requires a deeper introspection. It's not business as usual. So this time of the year is also somewhat, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but I'd call it a time of sense of urgency that requires a deeper reflection and a deeper analysis because this is the beginning of the year, a new contract. You want a new contract. So it's like evaluation and seeing what needs to be improved and has to be honest and sincere. So this too requires an element of navigation where you're now not in regular times. And that's why you find, as Maimonides writes, that these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, based on the Talmud, of course, it has a potency. What is the potency that does not exist the rest of the year? That one person has the power of 10, of a quorum, of a minion. And of course, 10 have the power of much more than that as well. And that every act we do now is magnified and amplified because that's exactly the case. Let's go back to the analogy. When you're doing an evaluation, it's coming the end of the year or end of a quarter or end of a period, then decisions are made. New budgets are written. And you want to be on the upside where you want to be, benefit from it. So therefore, your acute focus and emphasis in that period of time is somewhat more extreme than business as usual in a regular day once the contract's renewed and you're back to work. That doesn't mean we aren't honest and sincere in our work, but it doesn't have quite that sense of urgency. So here, this period in time is yet another time where we need to be, the word extreme has to be used with discretion, but let me explain what I mean. More extreme means not normal. Not normal means we're going to look closer at something. It's like an audit. With the intention not to audit and hurt someone, often audits, we right away, immediately, everybody's, you know, muscles, flex, uh, muscles tighten, and we become all alert because an audit is like a tax audit. But here's an audit out of love, where two people love each other, in this case, God and the people. The love requires at times that we really look closely at each other because we want it to only become better and remain superficial or on a more surface level. 
So then we also do need more extreme measures. What are the extreme measures? That's why there's two days of Rosh Hashanah. The prayers are double. Then comes Yom Kippur. The tables are all day long prayers. Five prayers instead of the regular four on the holiday of Shabbos, which is instead of the regular three every day. So as soon as you see additional prayers, additional service, additional customs, you know what you're doing is intensifying. And yes, it is a little more than the normal. So it's like the ship, again, on the ocean, that requires now a, a burst of energy, or requires a, a maneuver, or requires a veering to the right or to the left based on the circumstances. As Maimonides says it also so beautifully, that always, a person should always choose the middle path. Balance. The balance path, because you always want to be balanced. But if he's veered off too much to the right, which means you may have become too extreme to the right, you need to go to the left to balance it out, to get back to the center. So like a ship is going and it went too far to the right, you need to go to the left to get it back to the middle ground because if you stick to the right, it'll just keep going off. Same if you've gone too much to the left, you need to maneuver to get it back to the, to the center. So you need to go more extreme right, which is why we have the concept of a chumra. Chumra is a stringency where people who have been weak in a certain area in their lives, let's say a person has been weak in being too judgmental of others. Or the other way around, a person is too giving without any discipline, without any, and they spoil and they even hurt others in love. People like that have to go to the other extreme for a certain short period, short period of time, not permanently, to get back to the middle. So a person who's been very lax in a given area, let's say very judgmental, they have to be extra careful especially in this time of the year, to be even less judgmental than the norm, to go overboard and to, and to, uh, and to, lean, back and, and to lean backwards and go overboard in the extreme of being non-judgmental, to counter the overjudgmentalism. Any situation that was extreme in one way or a person was not careful in a certain area, you often may need to increase and add in a different area. And this isn't everything between human beings, moral behavior between us as people, and also our behavior with God. Things that we're lax in, we are lax, not relaxed. We are lax or weakened, weak in those matters. We need to strengthen them, which is like in any situation. If a person, God forbid, is wounded, gets an injury on their arm. So in the beginning, their arm is now weaker, but they're going to have to exercise it more than they exercise the other arm that's not injured. Why? Because you need to get it back to regular strength. And sometimes, actually, you get it back to even stronger strength because it's gone through that setback. That is the story of how we actually look at, and that's where extremes become important. Now, the word extreme, as I keep in qualifying, doesn't really mean extremism as in radicalism or as in fundamentalism or as in um, extremism as in fanaticism, what did I say, fanaticism, all these isms. Extremism here means extreme meaning more than the regular measure adding to it. And that always is a necessary tool, especially in particular times like what we're in now, when you need that deeper introspection, or in times of crisis, or in times of challenge, where you need to dig deeper. You're not going to dig deeper if you're going to go with the norm. But there's something even more than that, something even more fascinating. In the Tanya, and I excite this very often because it's just a tremendous insight, in chapter 15, it talks about the power of routines and going beyond routines. It says that a person is not really serving the divine or serving a higher reality if they do things by, by rote, even if it's good things. 
citing a Talmud in the tractate Menachas that says, Menachas, that says that if a person studies 100 times, repeats their studies 100 times, who does that? That sounds like a tremendous uh, dedicated student. It's considered as if he didn't serve because in the times of the Talmud, that was the norm. So it's a routine. It's almost mechanical. <clears throat> it's a great thing to do. But there was no, you didn't get out of your comfort zone. Comes the 101st time. You study it one extra time. That one, qualitatively, is more powerful than the first hundred, even though you can't get to the one without the hundred. Because you've broken your comfort zone. You've broken your habit, your routine, even a good, a good routine and a good habit and a good pattern. So you see that even in the normal situations, so to speak, there are times where we need to do something that's a little more, a little more. Again, this doesn't mean overboard. It doesn't mean in a crazy way, but a little more because that's how growth happens. That would be like the example for that would be exercising. So you exercise, you run one mile, then you learn to run a mile and a half, run a little faster, or lifting weights. What are you doing? You are exercising your muscles, and as they grow, you want them to expand further. So it's not sufficient what you did yesterday. In personal growth, we find this in the classic prayer, the Shema. The second part of the Shema comes about half. What does it say? Love God with all your heart, with all your spirits and soul. What's Ma'idecha in Hebrew? Ma'id means a lot. You say, Toiv Ma'id. Good. Toiv Ma'id, very good. Ma'id, Ma'id, very, very good. Excellent. So Ma'idecha means all your very, so to speak. Sometimes translate all your might. What does it add? That f- to fill your heart with love, to fill your soul with love, is beautiful. But it's still with the, within the parameters of your heart and soul. The Maidecha says, push a little harder until it hurts a bit. Give until it hurts. Beyond your comfort zone. Beyond your regular norm. Even if it's a very beautiful norm. So you see, I, I won't use the word extreme, but you see the norm has to constantly, we have to constantly push the envelope, push the boundaries to grow. That's a human feature, the restlessness, the need to grow. And that yesterday's successes and yesterday's conquests and yesterday's achievements are not sufficient for today. So here we see that even, and here the example of the ship actually doesn't really work necessarily. Maybe I have to figure out, maybe it could work. Because in a regular norm, calm day, why would you push it? Why would you go a little more? But sometimes a captain may do that to the ship to just test its muscles, flex its muscles, so to speak. But you don't see the need for it so much until there's a crisis. Here I'm suggesting even without a crisis, there's a constant need to grow. That what you had yesterday, today you want more. And that more is the third phrase in that verse that we say in the prayer several times every day. You're much, your might, you're beyond your very having some of your very in it, not just your good, but very good. So you see that for a successful and healthy life, we are in need of really tools for navigation. That's really the punchline here. Navigation. And navigation has many aspects to it. There's navigating the normal, keeping a balance, but there are times where something may happen, you lose balance, and you need to do something a little more extreme to, keep, to maintain the balance. And I'm adding now is that even in a regular situation, it's healthy for a human being to always push a little more. That's why it says in the Talmud that scholars or righteous, the tzaddikim, 
never have peace, not in this world and not in the world to come. So many people ask, what kind of blessing is that? What do you mean not to have peace? I mean, peace is a peace of mind, peace of heart is such a great blessing. No, it's a healthy restlessness. We, there's an unhealthy restlessness of a person, an, 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 an anxious person suffering from anxiety or other things that are really disturbing them. So that's a restlessness that's not necessarily healthy. Fears, inhibitions, the things that trap us and demoralize us. But then there's healthy motivation, like the motivation of competition or the motivation to excel beyond what you've done so far. That is a healthy angst and a healthy restlessness. And that is a blessing to have forever, that you should never be at peace and at bliss with what you have accomplished. Yes, there's a certain measure of satisfaction, but you want to always push it and go further. That's what every growing person is like, whether it's pushing your mind, your heart, your muscles, your physical being, or pushing your activities, your giving, your kindness, and so on, to the point that's beyond just the norm. <clears throat> so, in that sense, this is part of a parcel of what a life is like, what a real healthy life is like. That we're constantly growing, we're constantly pushing, we're constantly going more than the norm. But yet, we have, always have to keep the equilibrium of the norm there. Because even when you run, let's say, a marathon... But then you slow down. You don't run a marathon every day of your life and all 24-7. You slow down. You come back to your regular pace. But now you've strengthened your muscles. Now you've conditioned yourself. You're ready to go for more. But that's not the end in itself. The whole point of it is to push the envelope, to push the boundaries for growth. So the idea that we push ourselves is critical. And the idea of having that with all your might, with all your very... But, but it's all built upon a normal, balanced place. When a ship maneuvers in time of war or in time of weather challenges or other situations, the maneuvering is only to get it back to a balanced place. It's not meant to replace balance. It's meant to augment it. It's meant to support it and help it get back to a balanced place because that's what you want, to get through the storm. And the next day, the, the storm clears up, the clouds clear up, the waves are back normal, and you can continue your voyage in a balanced way. However, you were able, part of the balance was also able to maneuver and not be, not God forbid, capsized or in any way get damaged or hurt during the challenging stormy times. And this again applicable to our personal lives the same way. That the goal is always to live a normal balanced life. But due to, firstly, the natural restlessness we all have. Secondly, the crises or different challenging times and situations that require a more extreme measure. That's why we add that into the picture. But that never takes away from the Tmid and Kisidran, which is the order, the regular order. It just adds to it. And this is vital because many people feel sometimes because of their own inner hurt or pain, you know, they're going to leave behind their job, their family, start fresh, destroying, God forbid, the, the, the things that keep them balanced. Say, so I, I need something new. The newness should come as a support of the norm, because the norm is, is necessary for the foundation to stay in place. Imagine a foundation that's constantly shifting or being replaced. You can't build a building on a, sh- a shifting foundation. You need to have deep roots, strongly, firmly planted, firmly grounded, firmly anchored into the ground. And upon that come the floors of the building or the branches of the trees that branch out and bear fruit and extend and spread their wings. But it's all based on having a hearth, 
a nest from where you launch your launch pad. So it's really coming together, the two elements. I mention this also because this year is a Hebrew leap year, which means there's an extra month added. In the Gregorian calendar, to keep the balance of solar cycles, there's an extra day every four years, an extra day is added in the month of February. So there's a 28th of February, there's a 29th day of February. In the Hebrew calendar, because it's a lunar calendar, and you want it to be balanced with the solar calendar, which is what the Torah dictates, that Passover, which is, should always be in the spring season, Chedesh HaAviv. How could that be possible? Passover is determined by the lunar cycles, the 15th day of the month of Nisan. The seasons are determined by the solar cycle. The solar cycle is approximately 11 and a half days longer than the lunar cycle. Lunar months, which is based on the cycles of the moon, are approximately 29 or 30 days. And, that's, and, that, and the, Hebrew, the, the secular calendar, the Gregorian, is 30, 31. So basically like 11 or 11 and a half day discrepancy comes as particular verses that say that, they, that since they have to come together, that the, the Passover should always be in the spring, if we did not have that edict, Passover one year would be in the spring, the next year would be 11 days earlier, then 11 days earlier, 11 days earlier, and 33, and then ultimately it started becoming in the winter. And then back into the, and then into the autumn, and back into the summer, and back into the spring. But in order to maintain the balance, what happens is that every 19 years, there are seven leap years that maintain this balance, so it loses 11 days one year, two years, and approximately every two or three years, um, you have a leap year. And that three years, let's just say average three years, is a month is 29.30, that balances out the 11 times 3.33, and after 19 years, you more or less have a, moon, a lunar and solar balance. Okay, all this sounds very astronomical, astronomical, and uh, based on astronomy and mathematical, what does it have to do with our personal lives? Well, it has all much to do with it. The solar energy is a consistent energy. Though there are sunspots and sunstorms and so on, but basically it's a consistent flight that you can rely on every morning at the break of dawn. The sun will rise. The sun will rise and break of dawn, and then they'll come the break. The, yeah, the sun will rise every morning and shed its light. It may be a cloudy day, but basically light day and night, darkness and light are governed by the sun. It's consistent. And there's no shift from one day of the month to the next day of the month. The sun is the sun. Comes to the moon, the exact, the exact um, uh, um, uh, what do I want to say, the, the, antithe- the, the exact antithesis, the exact um, diametric opposite. That's what I was looking for. The moon changes every day its reflection to earth. So you have the first quarter, you have the second, the full moon, you have the third quarter, and then the new moon. It doesn't change. The moon is always reflecting the sun, but its angle to the earth, you see all the cycles. So that's ever-changing light. So the question is, which one is it? Should relationships, should our personal lives be driven by the consistent or by the ever-changing? I'll just use a simple example. If you're looking for a soulmate, so some t- there's some people are exactly on time. They're like clerks, like clockwork perfect. But there's no spontaneity. There's no excitement because it's like a routine. It's almost like a, a clock. 
Then there are people who are unpredictable. They come late, they come early, they don't come. Every night their hat is elsewhere. There's a sense of adventure there, a sense of change, constantly fresh, spontaneity, surprises, which are so vital for life, but there's no consistency. So there are lunar type of souls and there are solar souls. There are sun people and there are moon people. Which one is it? So the Christian calendar, the Western calendar, Gregorian, it's a solar calendar. The Muslim calendar, I don't know if you know this, is a strictly lunar calendar. And the Jewish Hebrew calendar says both are necessary. The months are governed by this, by the lunar, and that's how holidays are designated, and that's how Judaism, the month by the months. But we have the mitzvah to create every few years a shnasa ibur, a year that is actually called a pregnant year because as an additional month, second Adar is added right before Nisan. So there is to reconcile it with consistency because in true healthy life, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, you need both. You need a foundation. You need a strong tree stump, tree trunk, and it goes with roots deep in the ground. But imagine only having a foundation, only having the consistency, only the solar energy, then you need to have branching out in all directions. It spreads its wings. The bird flies. It's not just remaining in its nest. And it's actually having a strong foundation that allows you the license and the confidence and the courage and the freedom to soar. But if you're just soaring without a foundational element and grounding, that's lunar without solar. And if you just have a foundation and you never soar, you never sing, you never have spontaneity, it's a sun solar without a lunar. So the, the, the leap here combines the two in the context that I was speaking about earlier, the idea that we don't just stay with the norm, you're always looking to go a little more. Now that's even stronger when there's actually a diminishment, diminishment of the moon and all that comes with that, which is really not a discussion for this class, but there's a crisis or there's a setback. Then you need to intensify strength, like we see. When there's some setback or weakness, then what do you do? You bring on more resources. You bring reserves in order to compensate for the lack. Like you do. You, you rev up the engines. You create more power to deal with whatever adversarial storms are facing you. So all this comes together into a beautiful quilt, a beautiful um, um, uh, tapestry of life and its cycles. That we need the cycles and we need the norms and we need also the uniqueness and the spontaneity and the, and the adventure. But you have to find both together. Or else, if you have only one or the other, you have either a boring life or unpredictable one. And we human beings need predictability. We need consistency. But not at the expense of our spirits soaring and growing. And you could achieve both when you recognize that there's a force that's higher than both. That's not consistent and not ever-changing a force that is not defined by either. And when we connect with that, we're able to have something that connects change and consistency. The norm and the extreme. So now I'm already discussing extreme in a positive way. You know, people who are, for example, goody-goodies and they follow the laws and they're very ethical and they're kind, beautiful. But there are times we need to break out. A simchas Torah, we start dancing. Free abandon. Without the calculations. What do they say on a humorous note? They say, I like heaven for its climate, but hell for its company. Because heaven can be very boring. 
People are very good. They never waver. They never make a mistake. Who are the exciting people? The sinners. But heaven has the climate, has the consistent climate. So obviously I'm stating this in half jest, but you get the idea. In life, you don't need to be a criminal. You don't need to do crime to be, you, you, to be spontaneous. There can be spontaneity, like I said, in love. So in love, you also have the same thing. You love someone dearly in marriage. And you do what they ask you to do. You even do what they hint to do. But the spontaneity is lacking. The love will not be maximized. Where is it maximized? Do something spontaneous. Do something that your beloved would never, has not, does not anticipate and would not even expect you to do. You'll see what sparks will fly from that. We can initiate things like that. That's how you keep a marriage filled with vitality, filled with passion. You need the spontaneous. Built upon the anchors of the consistent. But you need that, that surge at times. The very, the much. Only that? No. You cannot, we cannot live on adrenaline all the time. We can't only live on spontaneous and on surprises all the time. And besides that, it won't be surprises after a while. So you need to have the regular, which is the grounding, the solid. But then you need that lunar jolt that adds something, a dimension, a surprise, and unexpected. You see, the most beautiful things happen when it's unexpected. You travel somewhere, the unexpected. You meet somebody you didn't think you'd meet. Something comes out. That's where magic happens. But at the same time, we need to have the norm. Now, how do you balance the two? Each of us has to deal with the struggle doing that. But the goal is exactly that. You don't have to escape into consistency because it's safer. Or escape into inconsistency because it's safer. Many people running around, it's not because they're out of coming out of strength, it's because they're terrified to be in one place for too long because they've been hurt. Other people stay in one place too long because they've been hurt, so they feel safe. You need to have the balance, and each of us have to find the formula of the things we do that are necessary, the norm. You need that consistency. You need to know which, which roof you're going to sleep under. The consistency children need in, in providing for them a dependability, consistency, that builds confidence. If you keep ripping from them away the basic principles of the continuity, they grow up constantly tentative, second-guessing, where am I going to be next, what's going to happen? When, a, when children feel that they're in an environment, and for that matter, adults, that's consistent. You know where it's coming from. You know your parents are there. You know the love will be consistent. It's not like you have an abusive parent. One day they love you, the other day they abuse you. Or the other day they abandon you. These things are not just unsettling. They are completely disrupt the spirit, the, the, the rhythm, and the flow of life. But on the other hand, if you only have the routine, everything is consistent, beautiful, I don't take away. But the human spirit also needs a surge, an injection of surprise, of adventure. We're going on a trip today. Is it not enough every day the beautiful love you're giving your children consistently? It is. But there's nothing like adding a dimension that just adds zest, it adds passion, it adds an element of breaking through and reaching to the stars, a type of free abandon, as I said, a surprise. That surprise infuses the norm. The lunar infuses the solar with a new type of energy, renewal, which you can't experience with the sun because the sun never dies for it to be renewed. The moon almost dies, figuratively speaking. It waxes, it wanes, until the point that you don't see even a drop, a dot, and then only to be reborn again. So it gives us the concept of rebirth, of renewal, of renaissance, of reviving, of, re- of 
reconciliation after love was broken. It's a whole new dimension. More than just getting things in the right in the first place. That, of course, is necessary. And that's great. Nobody should have to go and fall in order to, great, to reach great heights. But the combination of the two, where we have the consistent things that we're doing and we have the ever-changing things, is vital. So, for example, the word halacha, which is law in Hebrew, but there's an expression, al halachas. Don't call them journeys, call them laws. And the shalah and other commentaries explain that when it says do not call them something, call them, it means in addition to calling them this, call them that. So in addition to calling them journeys, call them laws. Journeys and laws are very different. Laws are strictness of the law, letter of the law. What you should do, what you shouldn't do. The idea of journey means movement, mobility, adjustability, adjusting. Which one is it? So let's take music as an example. You play a musical instrument, a violin, a guitar, a piano, whatever it is, a trumpet. Clarinet. I could have mentioned others as well. So on one hand, you have a very strict code, which is the musical notes you follow. And you can only play those notes if you want to get that music. But then there's what you invest your soul in it. And you can see two people play exactly the same song, and one sounds dead, the other one sounds alive. And that person that plays it alive will play the next time another rendition, which gives you a different type of message, a different narrative, a different story. So you may be using exactly the same notes, the same words, but that's the consistency part. But you've infused it with the lunar change, with the lunar freshness, with the lunar spontaneity and adventure. So to come back now to the concept of extremes, that's exactly the point. There are times, and the basic role is that we navigate forward balanced. At times we may need to veer right or left because of the challenges that we face. But even if there are no challenges, you always want to add some momentum. You want to always add something unique to keep it alive and kicking. That it shouldn't just be a routine, a habit, a pattern, a uh, custom, a vitality, a dynamic energy that's constantly pulsating, even while it is working within certain given uh, fundamental, fundamentals and foundational structures. So this is a tremendous lesson, especially in this period of time, as we do our introspection and our soul-searching, as we prepare for the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. You want to really have both. And so ask yourself, even make a list, open up a book, a journal, and make two columns. The column of your consistencies, the column of your inconsistencies. And what we're looking to do is inconsistencies that are not good, get rid of those and turn it into good inconsistencies, meaning positive surprise actions between you and yourself, between you and others, between you and God. It's an exercise. And then there's the other list with the consistency list. And see how they can feed each other. Look for ways. Be specific. See when you need to be navigating and traveling in a normal way on a daily basis. You go to work, come home. And then make sure weekends on Shabbos, especially now on holidays, especially if we go from Yukippur to Sukkot's joy, infuse it with some type of transcendence, something beyond the norm, something more extreme, something more spontaneous, something different than the regular. That is how we build a healthy life. If you only have the adventure part, maybe a lot of fun, but you burn out and you don't have the ground, you don't have the security that's necessary when something is established 
and based on consistency. You have only the consistency, it becomes boring, monotonous, dead. And we are human beings that are alive, we're constantly breathing. Our heart is beating. We need, we need movement, we need mobility, we need growth, we need change. So is it a challenge to bring the two together? Yes, it is, but it's doable. And every one of us can do it. So you begin by looking at your life and looking at the areas in which you're one way or the other. You may find that your primary thing is more the fun-loving, you're more the spontaneous one. Or you may find you're the very consistent one. Each one needs the other. It also helps us find good friends and, of course, good soulmates that complement or support or are similar. But they're, they're both, energy, both dimensions and both energy forms are constantly there. The norm, the Tmidin Kisidran, Musafim Kol So we say three prayers every day, as I mentioned. On Shabbat and holidays, and Rosh Hashanah included, we add a Musaf. What's Musaf? Musaf means additional. That, what we call before extreme, not extreme, but additional measure. So there's the regular, the norm, which was necessary, but then once a week, on Shabbos, we add the fourth prayer. Several times a year on holidays, we add the fourth, that additional. So Tmidin is the consistent offerings that were brought on a daily basis. Musaf is additional, additional jolt, an additional burst of energy, an additional transcendent element. Of course, Yom Kippur is a, um, a fifth dimension that's added that goes even beyond the beyond. Being we're not going to have a class next week because it's Yom Kippur, I'll just say a few words about that. Yom Kippur, you reach the fifth level of the soul. The first three is, when I say norm, I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean norm as in the conscious, regular faculties that function on an ongoing basis. Then you have the element of the Musa of the fourth, the transcendent, Chaya. So you have Nefesh, Ruch, and Neshama is the first three. Chai is the transcendent. Then comes Yechida, the unity, utter unity. Once a year, Yom Kippur, utter unity. Everything becomes melted into one unity. But we can't function on that level of unity all year round. You don't go into the Holy of Holies all year round. But it's the essential engine room of your soul. The deepest part where your soul meets God. So once a year, we enter there. It's a transcendent of the transcendent. So you're talking about extreme, that's extreme. But it's a good extreme, a healthy extreme. And the goal then is to bring that back out of the Holy of Holies, go back into the world of transcendence and into the world of the faculties of the nefesh, the biological survival level of nefesh, the emotional life of ruach, the intellectual life of neshama, the transcendent life of chay, informed by the once a year Yom Kippur intensity. So intensity is necessary, but intensity, you can't live on an intense level all the time. You can't be running a marathon. You can't be going to the deepest place all the time. You go, recharge, and then bring it back, come back to tell about it, and infuse it into the so-called norms. And then the norm becomes one with the beyond the norm. So the extreme becomes, informs the norm, the norm informs the extreme, and the extreme teaches the norm to go outside of its own boundaries. Imagine that. That within the structure, where everything is so-called, quote-unquote, normal and predictable, and goes by the rules, you can discover something that is beyond and transcendent. Maybe it's the joining of the, 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 the determinate and the indeterminate. You talk about physics on the Newtonian level, meaning on the macroscopic level. Everything is rules. You know exactly when the sun will rise. You throw up a certain object, same speed, same weight. It'll fall exactly the same way. Billiard ball, the billiard ball effect. 
If you do it the same way, you're very predictable, consistent. But then they go in the microscopic dimension, you have indeterminism. Heisenberg's uncertainty, uncertainty principle, uncertainty. Because you can never know the velocity and the position of an atom at the same time until you measure it, and then you define it. So on the microscopic level, there's a quantum state, some called state of, I said indeterminism, a state of potentiality. It's a potential state. It's a state of possibility. And then, when you measure it, or when the observer comes into play, it becomes from the indeterministic, deterministic, a state of possibility, or another word used for it is, uh, I said indeterminism, there's another word of, um, not unpredictability, it'll come to me. But bottom line, it's a state where you cannot define it in one way. It's not def- definitive. And then there's a world that was the definitive. Can you breathe these two? Can these two come together? Absolutely. That's what we're discussing here. I just bring the physics example just adds to the whole picture. So my friends, in this special time of the year, as we go move from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, for everyone, stay time of introspection, soul searching. We are looking to... Mag- to, to um, Master the art of navigation on both dimensions. How to live the normal life, the normal, regular norms, infused with the magic, with a higher transcendent force. And that's what we're looking to do. And for that, there are times you need extremism. Now, as I said, there are times where crisis, challenge, loss, trauma, that requires a deeper, digging deeper and reaching that more extreme place that more transcendent place. But for all of us, even everything going well, we always need to reach there as well. And this is the time of year to do so. So may everyone have a transcendent life that infuses and permeates your imminent life, meaning your regular life, regular, unregular, your regular become irregular in a good way. The usual become unusual. The ordinary become extraordinary. The natural become supranatural. A life that joins the two, not escaping into transcendence and not being trapped in the airtight world of consistency and continuity, but a combination of the two and soar, soar, soar as high as you can, but you know you have a hearth, you have a nest, and you bring these two together. It should be a year of joining these two in all matters, finding that inner peace that is, comes from the art of navigating. And navigation is not just a one dimensional thing. Navigation includes all the above. Everyone should have a very beautiful and powerful Yom Kippur, a meaningful one, where you really can access the deepest dimensions of your soul. Ask for what you want. Don't be ashamed. Try to, get, try to eliminate, at least for one day, or these few days that we're in now, the faces, the masks, the superficial stuff that we're so involved in, the pettiness, and, and uncover the inner forces that's right there waiting for you to release them. It's not something new. It's right there. And you'll be amazed how when you join these two forces together, you can achieve tremendous results. And it's all within the parameters of the structure. But within that, you find things that are beyond the parameters. As is taught in the deepest levels, deepest teachings in Hasidic thought, that God is neither consistent nor inconsistent. God is neither the norm nor the transcendent. And God is a place that's able to join the two together 
which is like just a tremendous concept if you think about it. A place where you're not defined by definition and you're not defined by non-definition. You're not defined by non-non-definition. And therefore you can bring them all together and you can take a so-called structure, the norms of life, quote-unquote, and infuse it with something that is miraculous. The natural order with the miraculous order. And they both complement each other. Whereas I said, the natural becomes supernatural. It says supra, not super, supernatural. And you join the two together because they're coming from a place that's beyond. In the language of the Hasidic masters, there's God has the power to radiate in an infinite way. He has the power to radiate in a finite way. But he's neither of the two. And then they join together. The infinite changes. The infinite um, and the finite consistencies, the consistent finite laws of nature join the infinite possibilities and they become one. So everyone should have a blessed year. We will not have a class next week due to the holiday. Neither will there be one in two weeks, which is Sukkot, another holiday. So the next class will be in one, two, three Wednesdays from today, um, whatever the date is. Everyone be blessed from the depths of my heart. I hope that you're blessed with everything that you need, everything, the things that you don't even know you need, in all possible ways, and all in good health. Please be in touch with the Meaningful Life Center. We're here for you. This is a great time to also connect with us through 60 days. That's the guide that I wrote. I was honored to write. The 60 days, a, a spiritual guide to the high holidays. We send out a daily email, which is easy to subscribe to. We send out a daily audio, which I'm actually recording every day, a new audio series. It's called 60 Day Journey to Hope, Renewal, and Joy. And you can subscribe to that going online and WhatsApp. Just go to our website, actually, and uh, meaningfullife.com, and right on the homepage you'll find all the links necessary for this journey. It's also an excellent time to remind you that this is a great time to add in good deeds, including charity of all sorts, but we also ask you to help us and support our important work based on your donations. It's a non-profit. We do these services for free. And we hope that you will be generous in your giving. And just go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. We have now a special Yisker donation, which is honoring the memory of a loved one. It's a great way to honor them is by giving charity to a good cause that gives them a so-called living memorial. So we, too, have sent out an email about it. We will be sending out an email, but we also have... On our page and on our website, you can find a way to do that by adding those names, and we will, we will, uh, we will post them on the online forever. So it's a it's a immortal a way to immortalize the memory and the souls of our loved ones. So with that said, we have plenty of resources about Yom Kippur, about these ten days of tshuva, this whole period of time. Just go to meaningfullife.com, search, you'll find. Communicate with us if you want more material. And we always welcome your requests and your, your uh, interests. Any way we can help you in your spiritual journey. And again, concluding with a very blessed year for all. And we be sealed in the book of life, with healthy life and beautiful life, and a year of redemption, personal and global redemption. Thank you so much, everyone.